As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. I want to pause here for the public service of Mohammed Alarian, and there's a photo out in his Twitter feed. On radio, it's real simple. It is the students of Queens College, Cambridge, with the Beast Bosa. This is the official dog of the University of Cambridge. And Mohammed, I want to just pause for a bit here. And this is on Good Friday. Now, you studied with Erasmus at Cambridge years ago. And the problem is, John Fisher had your job a few years ago, and he ran into an altercation with Henry VIII. You got to be careful at Cambridge when you're when you're there it's an it's an emotional place what's been your experience dealing with these students what's been the biggest surprise of your day job now so for those of you who don't know English history as well as Tom does John Fisher who was the president of Queens got beheaded and he got <laughs> beheaded by Henry VIII um, so look this it's been an amazing experience with the students I cannot tell you how exciting it is to see them embrace the opportunity they're giving. And you're seeing transformation right in front of your eyes. I, I experienced it, so I see it repeated over and over again. Yeah. And it happens especially to, to people who come from more difficult backgrounds and who recognize that this is life-changing, not just for them, but for subsequent generations. Tell me about the elites that you're living with, and frankly, we are every day, maybe not at Cambridge, but we're in an elite world. What is your optimism seeing this jobs report of an America that's essentially flat on its back? Half of America is struggling just to get by. So, so I do think we have an inequality problem. I call it a trifecta, income, wealth, and in particular, opportunity. And I think a lot has to be done to try and level the playing field on opportunity. Having said that, this is not an economy on its um, knees. This is an economy that's incredibly robust and only gets down to, it, to its knees if there is further policy mistakes. I'm actually quite encouraged by how well the U.S. economy has been doing, given what else has been going on in the world. Well, I just want to point out, because we're talking about inequality in the world, uh, this is a really, really good report for uh, minorities. The unemployment rate for blacks or African-Americans drops from 5.7 to 5%, a seven-tenths drop in one month. Asia 
Asian unemployment drops by six-tenths to 2.8%, wow. and Hispanic drops by seven-tenths to 4.6%. Uh, this is only conjecture, but it seems like when you uh, are have this kind of continuing improvement in the labor market, it is getting to the people who are last hired, to the people at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale who didn't get the jobs back right away, and it seems to be broadening. So this is the question that people ask, Mohammed. to Mike's point. The labour market looks okay in this labour market report. Some people might disagree based on other figures we've had this week. But let's just go with this. Why does the Fed want to ruin it? That's the question you often hear asked. Why do they want to ruin this? Why do they want to get unemployment higher? I think a lot of people outside of Wall Street and the Federal Reserve, the institution, don't quite understand that. Can you make sense of that for us? So the charitable interpretation is because they're not getting enough help on the supply side. And if we did more to enhance labor force participation, they wouldn't have to do so much on the demand side. That's the charitable side. The less charitable is they started very late. And because they started very late, they are, they are having a, a lot of hikes in a very short amount of time, which then creates more damage to the real economy than you would have had otherwise had you started on time. And I think there's general agreement that they started very late, probably a year late. The uh, Fed's argument, and I'll, t I'll take the Randy Krosner side for, for right now, <laughs> is that the, they think they can tighten the way they are tightening because there were so many job openings left over after the pandemic. The people are filling those holes rather than unemployment rising. We saw yesterday the jobless claims numbers, <coughs> which the, when they changed the seasonally adjusted factors, went right. up by about 30,000, but they're still very low and not showing signs of breaking out. There does seem to be also because it was so hard to find workers, a labor hoarding thing going on where I, companies are reluctant to let people go. So the Fed is maybe gambling at this point that they can get away with this, but it's paying okay, off. I'm going to take the Elizabeth Warren side. We've created a million oh, jobs go. in 90 days. <laughs> you just gave us stunning diversity statistics of the minorities of America prospering. John, is this maybe the best jobs report I've ever seen? A million jobs in 90 days in different minority unemployment that I never imagined or well, framed in my head. Well, you know what people head. are going to say back to that, Tom? Just wait. Just wait. Just wait based on the tightening we've had in 12 months. Zero to five. Potentially in the coming meeting on May 3rd, they go beyond five. <coughs> and Mohammed, on top of that, the banking stress, an extra layer of it. I just think there's a big group of individuals right now on Wall Street, market participants looking at this data point this morning and saying, great, okay, wait a couple of months because it's going to get worse. Is that your take? Um, that's the fear. That is the fear. And I worry about it every single day. My question for you, yeah. if I add up all the numbers you've given us, Hispanic down from 5.3 to 4.6, um, black unemployment 5.7 to 5, Asian 3.4 to 2.8, that means white unemployment must have spiked higher in a very big way. Well, I can check that out very quickly here. White unemployment obviously has been very, very low. Uh, at this point, white unemployment is uh, yeah. unchanged. Okay, so that, so, so that doesn't add up. So uh, if everything else goes down and white is, is unchanged, so... Uh, well, you can come with me tomorrow to the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics <laughs> there and, we are. and talk to them. <laughs> I, around the table here, but, and Mohamed, I want to celebrate Mike McKee's work here, talking with the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, talking to the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, talking to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. And I want to go back to something. This is, John, so important because it's what surveillance does and McKee lives every day. And, folks, you don't know this, but Alarian on the side is a songwriter. Here's Alarian off of one of his key songs for Hamilton 
Hamilton a number of years ago. And the lyrics of this are just important and go really right to the idea of what the Fed uh, will do. Talk less, what? Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You can't be serious. You want to get ahead. Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. You wrote about this. I didn't quite write about that whole thing. Um, <laughs> but let me, let me, I just want to join you because, Mike, you are amazing. Oh. I always listen well, to thanks. you. I end up having, because of you, many more insights than I would otherwise. And the way you interview federal officials and your questions at the FOMC press conference are just terrific. So are thank you. Are talking too much? Oh, absolutely. They're talking too much. I, I think... Just talk to former federal officials, see how they feel about the amount well, of... The, the, the follow-on to that that they would give you is, <clears throat> would you rather we go back to the days when nobody spoke and... Uh, but that's a false choice. That's a fa talk less doesn't mean don't talk. Well, <laughs> uh, as the as, as president of, uh, <laughs> of a college, when you have a faculty meeting, can you tell uh, members of the faculty to shut up and not speak? Uh, that's kind of the problem. They've got 19 people, 18 at the moment, on the committee, and they're all going to want their chance to say what they think. If Knowing what we know today, would you keep the dots? No, well, you know, I was just asked that by one of the people I interviewed, and I said no, not because the dots couldn't be helpful, but because they're not. Wall Street does not read them as 19 different dots uh, based on the forecasts that yeah. those people make. They read it as, this is our, pl this is our plan going Okay, forward. so Judge Keene, I rest my yeah. case. <laughs> Judge, uh, John, does the Bank of England need dots? Does the Bank of England talk so much? Does the Bank of England talk to Michael McKee like this? Can I have my camera? Just my single, just for a moment. <laughs> Mike McKee, you're amazing. <laughs> it's just my turn. It's my turn. Mohammed, do you think the Bank of England does this better than the Federal Reserve, don't you? It just does. the communication, why? What do they do differently? I think they are less political, they're honest. They say things that may be unpleasant but need to be said. You know, your governor came out and said inflation will go up to 13% if we're not careful. He came out and warned against a wage price spiral. The inflation report was the first to acknowledge that they had made a mistake on transitory. They hiked first. I mean, if you look at, the, at what they do, and then they publish fan charts, and they're honest about the uncertainty. Well, the Fed does published fan charts. But the no. dots, the Nobody dots, them, no one looks at them. Exactly. Because if you put something else out there, they will look at that. So I, I do think that there's a lot to learn from best practice central banking around the world, and that we have to have an open mind. And we must not get stuck in this lack of cognitive diversity, because it ends up hurting the American people. It really does. If I could give you one thing right now, would you take the CPI report next week or the bank earnings? What would you like to know up front? If I'm worried about the economy, I would take the bank earnings, um, but more details about bank deposits. I think people don't understand what happens to a banking system when money flows out, not just to the large banks, but to the money market sector. It is significantly different in terms of the propensity to lend. And who gets hurt? Small and medium-term industries. And they are major job creators. Would you like to stay for an extra hour? Maybe we can do this for another 60 minutes if you want. No, I think I think, be. All right. I think I, I managed the hour. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. 
Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Randall Krosner with us as well, the former governor of the Federal Reserve, of course, the University of Chicago Booth School. Professor Krosner, when I look at this data and what Dr. Elarian says about clearly optimistic data, I want you to speak to the optimistic market economists that say there's more going on than traditional economic analysis, that this is an America resilient. How do you see that at Booth School? Well, this is something we've talked about before, and I've called the so-called immaculate disinflation, that uh, somehow, because uh, inflation is gradually coming down, that we can uh, do this without the labor market cracking, without uh, uh, really feeling much pain. I think that's a little bit too positive. I think um, people would be a little bit concerned to say, oh, well, we'll just be able to uh, to make it all work, uh, work very easily. Um, one thing that was uh, at least heartening in the... Uh, in the report is that uh, the um, uh, changes in wages seem to be be roughly where the well exactly on where the um, uh, the forecast was um, so that's down a bit from where things had been uh, so we're seeing still a reasonably robust labor market but not quite as much wage pressure um, I very much agree with with Mohammed. I think the Fed has been well. I would say the Fed has been very clear, and that makes it very easy to uh, to say that uh, unless something wild happens in the next uh, next few weeks, they're going to go 25 basis points, and then it's likely that they're um, they may pause. Uh, obviously, that'll relate to how the uh, uh, how the in inflation report comes out. Right. Uh, but they're getting into the fives. And that's something that you know we've talked about for for many months. That I think that's where the Fed was going. I think they made it fairly clear that that's that's where they were going, and they're probably going to pause right. five and five and a half. Uh, Governor Krosner, I, I look at the one million jobs formed off revisions of the last ninety days. The three month uh, moving average is three hundred fifty five thousand. That is a booming job economy under any theory. How distant is Jerome Powell from his higher unemployment that he desires? Yeah, so as I said, you know, the, the, Fed's, the Fed's not going to quit until the labor market quits. And the labor market has not yet quit uh, because I think the, the view is still it's going to be very difficult to bring inflation down in a consistent and, uh, and permanent way until you see some more weakness in the, uh, more weakness in the job market. Fortunately, we don't see wages, uh, wage growth accelerating, uh, but it's not come down nearly as much as, as uh, John, Jerome Powell. John, this is just, just extraordinary. I mean, are we back to a Bullard 7% in the last four minutes? 
No. <laughs> I, I'm looking at 355,000 jobs per month. Well, here's the interesting thing that's happened that happened in the last month. When you look at that household survey, uh, the labor force grew by 480,000, which the Fed has been expecting. More people come into the labor force, and maybe that's bringing down the jolts jobs numbers. And of those coming into the labor force, more people got jobs, 577,000, while unemployment fell by 97,000. There was a big dichotomy between the establishment survey and the household survey for a couple of months. It looks like household is now catching up. 236 is the number. We haven't had a downside surprise on a payrolls report in 12 months. Ronnie Krosner, thank you, of the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Tiffany Wilding now with PIMCO, thrilled that she could join us this morning. Tiffany, what was the distinctive feature for you of this jobs report? Well, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, obviously the, the payroll number on the surface was very strong. And as you mentioned, the three-month moving average is, is well above, um, you know, kind of what we need to sustain the level of the unemployment rate. Um, but but if you look at the wage numbers, I actually thought that was kind of interesting because on a three-month over three-month basis, average hourly earnings is decelerating. Um, we were at six and now we're at three. That's much closer to the Fed's uh, targets. So, you know, I'd say actually overall, you know, this payroll report, even though we're talking about recession and, and things like that, you know, at least this payroll report um, was very consistent with the, with the soft landing view that the Fed has. Matt, the, the soft landing view that they have means I guess there's no fear of a 25 beep lift. If they lift 25 more basis points, who is damaged? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, from an economist perspective, 25 basis points isn't really a lot, okay. right? Um, it's, it's really all about, you know, the five percentage points that have increased, uh, you know, over the course of, of the last year uh, that really matters. You know, and, and ultimately, the you know, we've talked about a lot about long and variable lags. You know, that, in our view, is impacting the economy. And I think that the banking stress that you're seeing or that we have seen is kind of symptomatic of those long and variable lags and the fact that monetary policy conditions are tight. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, I do, I would say that as everyone knows, the labor market does tend to lag. Um, you do see growth decelerating first, you know, and we think that that, you know, is happening and will continue to happen. And then eventually labor markets uh, will also uh, decelerate more as well. Uh, Tiffany, is there a point on the calendar where you'd be comfortable saying that's about the time I think we should realize, recognize just how much credit tightening we'd expect off the bank of the banking stress of the last month? When are we going to find that out? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we are starting to see it, some of the higher frequency data, um, you know, that lending growth is slowing in some of the regionals. Obviously, the deposits are moving out of uh, some of the midsize and smaller banks. And, you know, I think overall, the cost of capital for those midsize and smaller banks, as for everyone else, is going up. And so that's just going to make loans, um, you know, less attractive for them to make. But overall, I just take a step back. Um, we've done an analysis just looking over 14 developed markets over the past 70 years um, around tightening cycles. And what that suggests is that after a central bank starts hiking interest rates around four to eight quarters after, you tend to see a more material deceleration in the output gap and in growth. So that's kind of lining up with what we're seeing. Um, you know, it's maybe suggestive that in the second half, we actually could see some more deterioration. Tiffany, this was wonderful to get your view. Tiffany Wilding of PIMCO in on a holiday. We appreciate that. Tiffany, All of our guests. thank you very much. <laughs> Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs 
to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. And now a conversation, as we uh, do with someone who works 365 days of the year. She is the U.S. Commerce Secretary, but far more the former governor of Rhode Island. And what is so important within the stereotype of our politicians removed from the labor economy that is not Gina Raimondo. The Commerce Secretary joins us now with the experience of the collapse of the Bull of a Watch Company in Rhode Island. Oh, Gina, I lived it with you. You lived it in real time with your father. There's an awful lot of America feeling they're living the bull of a watch experience right now. How does the administration speak to those that are not prospering? Uh, Good morning. Good to see you. Well, first of all, the administration is speaking directly to those people because the president is obsessed with bringing more manufacturing back to America. In fact, I was with the president last week in Hickory, North Carolina, a town just like what we're talking about. Uh, And I was there because of expansions of two American companies making fiber optic cable uh, because of our initiatives to provide every American broadband. So, you know, the president's calling on manufacturers to make more in America. It is working, and it's reflected in these jobs numbers. I mean, this is an excellent jobs report. Mm -hmm. You're seeing record low black unemployment. You're seeing record low unemployment among people who have been left behind. And the best news for me is higher percentage of people working in the workforce um, anytime in decades. So we're going to middle America. We're going to folks like my dad who were left behind in the collapse of manufacturing and we're getting them back to work. That's the message to middle America. Secretary Raimondo, what's the message to the Europeans as you do this? Uh, Work with us. You know, I'm headed to Europe at the end of next month. Uh, We need to work together. And, you know, I think whether it's the IRA or the CHIPS uh, initiative, there's opportunities for European companies and opportunities for us to work together to meet the moment with climate change and our global competition with China. Perhaps I should have been more precise. European companies will invest in the United States. What's the message for European governments who are perhaps unhappy about what's happening at the moment? It's the same message. You know, I understand that there was some initial concern about the IRA in particular, but I'll tell you, we are in constant contact with our European colleagues, including me. I've met with numbers of them and from Germany, from the EU in the past couple of months. I think they're now understanding that there are opportunities for them. And by the way, we all need to do more to combat climate change. So 
initial hurt feelings maybe, but but there's a lot of good work to do together. Let's talk about what's happening with supply chains. I know this is very important to you. Adam Poston of the Peace and Institute said the idea that making everything domestically builds resiliency is, quote, the fallacy of self-sufficiency and has been disproven repeatedly. How would you respond to that? He's right. I mean, nobody thinks we should be making everything that we need in America. Nobody's saying we should be self-sufficient. It's a global economy. We want to continue to trade. Uh, but in the case of semiconductors, for example, which are essential to our national security, the fact that we buy 90 plus percent of our leading edge chips from Taiwan is also unsustainable and, quite frankly, almost dangerous. So um, mm. no one would say we need to make enough chips in America for all that we consume, that that would be silly. But we do need to have more resiliency. Madam Secretary, I spoke to the managing director of the IMF yesterday, and it could have easily been a 110% conversation on China. You are gifted in that you have Elizabeth Economy advising you, arguably our best young China expert in America. What is Dr. Economy advising you on about improved China-U.S. relationships? Well, I am smiling because Dr. Economy is about to get on a plane and head to China. Uh, and, you know, uh, what we are doing is pursuing the policy of protecting and promoting. Uh, first and foremost, we have to protect the United States of America and our national security. And we're doing that with gusto, with our export controls and guarding our tech, leading edge technology. Having said that, where it makes sense, we need to promote, we need to export, we need to help American businesses and make sure that China provides for a level playing field. So that's the administration strategy. You are correct that I am extremely lucky to have Liz. She's extraordinary and she's here in the Commerce Department. There is no level playing field. There is a lack of recipro reciprocity when it comes to things like social media and tech. Secretary Raimondo, do you think then that we need to start banning more things here in the United States? There is a law called the Restrict Act weaving its way through Congress. The chief architect is Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, which I think is, a, is excellent and is very sensible, which is to say, I do not think we should get into a witch hunt sort of yeah. environment where we go after individual companies by name one at a time. I do think, which is what this law provides, is more tools to the Commerce Department for constant you know, surveillance, ability to uh, investigate and then perhaps regulate right. companies. This is a conversation that we're going to continue to have. Madam Secretary, this was fantastic. Thank you. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? 
And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.